part three chapter eleven of bessie's fortune by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain eleven miss macpherson's housemaid bessie meant to be up with the sun but she was so tired and the room so quiet that she slept soundly until awakened by the long clock in the lower hall striking seven this is a bad beginning she thought as she made her hasty toilet she found her trunks outside her door and selecting from them her new calico dress which she had bought just before leaving home she put it on together with one of the pretty white aprons which neil had so detested and gray had so admired i ought to have a housemaid's cap she thought as she looked at herself in the glass and tried to smooth and straighten her hair which would curl around her forehead in spite of all she could do a clean collar with cuffs at her wrist completed her costume and it was a very neat attractive little housemaid which entered the room where miss macpherson was leisurely finishing her plain breakfast of toast and tea and eggs oh auntie bessie began advancing to her side i am so sorry i overslept i was very tired and the bed was so nice it shall not happen again what can i do for you let me make you a fresh slice of toast no thanks i am through you can clear the table if you like miss betsy replied shoving back her chair and eyeing her niece curiously as she gathered up the dishes and carried them to the kitchen where she took her own breakfast with the cook who instructed her in her duties as well as she could she is mighty queer and mighty particular but if you get the soft side of her you are all right she said to bessie who moved about the house almost as handily as if she had lived there all her life never had the china been washed more carefully or quickly or the furniture better dusted or the table better arranged for dinner and had bessie been a trained servant from the queen's household she could not have waited upon her aunt more deftly or respectfully than she did but the strain upon her nerves began to tell upon her and after her dishes were washed and she was assured by the cook that there was nothing more for her to do until tea-time she went to her room for a little rest just as a carriage dashed up to the door and the bell rang fiercely scarcely however had bessie reached the hall on her way to answer the ring when her aunt who it seemed to her was everywhere present darted out from some quarter and seizing her by the shoulder said quickly go back to your room i'll let her in myself was she angry and if so at what bessie wondered as she returned to her room and sitting down by the bed laid her tired head upon the pillow while a few tears rolled down her cheeks as she recalled her aunt's sharp tones was this to be all the commendation she was to receive for the pain she had taken to please it was hard and there began to steal over her a feeling of utter hopelessness and homesickness when suddenly a sound came up to her from the parlour below which made her start and listen as to something familiar surely she had heard that loud uncultivated voice before and after a moment it came to her the tea-party in the dear old garden at home when mrs rossiter brown was the guest and had so disgusted her with her vulgarity and this was mrs brown who had come in state to call and who after declaring the weather hot enough to kill cattle and saying that gusty was in saratogi and had had twelve new dresses made to take with her spoke next of allen and lord hardy who were in idaho or omaho or some other ho mrs brown could not remember which at the mention of lord hardy's name all bessie's old life seemed to come back to her and she lived again through the dreary days at the crowded hotels and ate her dinner of dry bread and shrivelled grapes in the back room of the fourth floor and saw her mother radiant with smiles bandying jests with the young irish lord while her father looked on with a sorry expression on his face the very memory of which brought a rain of tears to bessie's eyes 
allen had just written to his mother a description of his travels and she was giving miss macpherson her version of it another lord had joined them she said a regular english swell and they attracted so much attention and the people were so curious to see them that they were actually obliged to travel in a cognito though what under the sun that was she was sure she didn't know she thought she had been in most everything there was goin but she never seen a cognito which must be some western contrivance or other at this ludicrous mistake so characteristic of mrs rossiter brown bessie forgot her tears and laughed hysterically until she heard her mother's name when she instinctively grew quiet and rigid as a piece of marble for what mrs brown said was this and so the poor little critter is dead well i must say she was about the prettiest woman i ever saw but i guess she wasn't what i supposed she was when i took such a shine to her she was a born flirt and mebby couldn't help it but she might have let allen alone a mere boy why he was that bewitched after her that he fairly lost flesh and told me to my face that he should never see another woman he liked as he did her and he'd never got over it neither if lord hardy hadn't taken him in hand and told him something i've no idea what for allen would never tell me only it did the business and there was no more whimpering for that woman oh mother poor mother bessie moaned as she covered her face with her hands feeling that her shame was greater than she could bear going to the door she closed it and so did not hear mrs brown when she said next she had a lovely daughter though with a face like an angel i'd swear she was all right do you ever hear from her for a moment miss betsy hesitated for it was not part of her plan to let mrs brown or any one see bessie just yet but her love for the naked truth prevailed and she replied yes she is here she came yesterday in the germanic i will call her crying what's that for she said to bessie as she entered the room and feeling almost as guilty as if she had been caught in some wrong act bessie sobbed the door was open at first and i knew it was mrs rossiter brown whom i have seen at stoneleigh i heard what she said of mamma and oh auntie i am her daughter and she is dead and she was good at the last in her sympathy for bessie miss macpherson was even ready to do battle for daisy and she replied mrs brown is a fool and allen is a bigger one and lord hardy biggest of all don't cry she wants to see you wash your face and take off your apron and come down five minutes later bessie was shaking hands with mrs brown who told her she did not look very stubbed that was a fact that she guessed seasickness had not agreed with her and she'd better keep herself swaddled up in flannel for a spell till she got used to the climate which was not like england you came in the germanic your aunt tells me she continued as bessie took a seat beside her then you must have seen miss lucy gray and her nephew for they were on that ship and i hear were met by somebody sent from boston to tell em to come right on for miss gerald was very sick bessie felt rather than saw the questioning eyes which her aunt flashed upon her and her face was scarlet as she answered yes i saw miss gray she was very kind to me when i was sick she did go directly to boston what is the matter with mrs gerald miss betsy asked and mrs brown replied the land only knows heart complaint the last report i believe i saw hannah at the depot this morning she'd been sent for too geraldine always wants her when she's sick but the minute she's better the old maid's sister is on the way and not good enough for my lady's fine friends i know geraldine gerald pretty well 
and if i's hannah i wouldn't run to every beck and call when nothing under the sun ails her but hypo she has had everything i do believe malary cancers spinal cords nervous prostration and now it's her heart humbug more like hysterics burton gerald has got his hands full and i pity him why he looks like an old broken-down man and his hair is as white as snow here mrs brown who had the conversation all to herself stopped to take breath she was not an ill-natured woman or one who often talked of her neighbours and after a moment as if ashamed of her tirade she said i've went it pretty glib against poor miss gerald ain't i i dare say she is sick and nervous and i have not charity enough for her then rising from her chair preparatory to leaving she said to bessie i am glad you have come and i hope we shall see you often after gusty comes home i suppose i shall lose her in october tain't no secret now and so i may as well tell you that she is to be married to lord hardy from dublin you've seen him i believe yes when i was a little girl bessie answered with a pang of pain as she remembered the days when lord hardy was their constant companion i never really believed he wanted gusty mrs brown continued till you said so in plain words and there's folks now mean enough to say it's her money he's after and i don't myself s'pose he'd thought of her if she hadn't had money but i think he likes her and i know she likes him and it's something to be lady hardy as she said this mrs brown drew herself up rather loftily as if some of her daughter's honour had fallen upon her and with a stately bow and a good afternoon went out to where her handsome carriage and high-booted driver were waiting for her there goes as nice a woman as ever lived made over into a fool by money and a little nincompoop of a lord was miss betsy's comment as she watched the carriage moving away across the common then turning suddenly to bessie she added why didn't you tell me miss lucy was on the ship with gray bessie hesitated a moment and then answered frankly perhaps i ought to have done so but i thought i would rather if you liked me at all and were kind to me that it should be for myself and not because i had met miss gray who offered to give me a note to you did i do wrong no perfectly right miss betsy said and now tell me all about it you said she was kind when you were sick how did she find you in the steerage in as few words as possible bessie repeated the story of her acquaintance with miss lucy dwelling at length upon her kindness but saying little of gray indeed a casual stranger listening to the recital would hardly have known that he was mentioned at all but miss betsy was far-seeing she knew the signs for she had had her day and experience and from the very fact that bessie did not say more of gray she drew her own conclusions but to be quite sure she said you had seen gray before you met him on the ship had you not yes bessie answered he once spent a day at stoneley with neil and he came again when father died and was so kind to me i was alone for mother you know was on the ocean and he did everything a man could do then when i was sick in rome he was there too and gave up his room to mother and took every care from her oh auntie he is the noblest man i ever knew he told neil once that he tried to make somebody happy every day either by a pleasant word or look or act of kindness and only think if he lives to be old how many many people will have been happier because he has lived in the excitement bessie forgot everything but her enthusiasm for and her interest in gray gerald and her aunt who was watching her closely guessed the truth pretty accurately 
but she made no remark except to say that from the garret window one could see gray's park where miss lucy lived and which gray would probably one day inherit nor was she at all surprised when later in the afternoon she knew by certain sounds that bessie was at the garret window looking at the park the next day was a hard and busy one for there was sweeping to be done and the silver to be cleaned and the dining-room windows to be wiped and bessie went through it all patiently and uncomplainingly serving her aunt at breakfast and dinner taking her own meals with the cook and never by a sign showing that she was other than the hired maid she had chosen to be but when the last thing was done which belonged to her to do the fatigue and the heat overcame her and sitting down in the shaded porch by the kitchen door she leaned her aching head against the back of her chair and fell asleep and there miss betsy who had scarcely lost sight of her during the day found her and for a few moments stood looking at her intently noticing every curve and line and feature and feeling a lump in her throat as she saw about the sweet mouth that patient sorry expression which had come there years ago when bessie was a child and had deepened with every succeeding year poor little girl you have had a hard time i know she said and at the sound of her voice bessie awoke and with a bright smile and blush started up saying excuse me i was very tired and warm and must have fallen asleep my work is done and now if you have any sewing please let me have it aren't you tired you look pale miss betsy asked so kindly that bessie's lip quivered as she replied yes a little but i do not mind that i should like to do something for you then go out into the garden in the fresh air and stay there till you are rested miss betsy answered abruptly and turning on her heel she walked away to her own room where she held communion with herself wondering how much longer she could or ought to hold out i have tried her pretty well and she has not flinched a hair but i guess i will wait a day or two till i have heard from sarah she thought but this resolution did not carry out for two reasons one of which was found in the letter which she received that afternoon and the other in the fact that at tea-time bessie made it dead away as she stood by her auntie's chair she had borne so much and suffered so much during the last few months that nature refused to bear any longer and it was more than a headache which brought the faintness upon her taking her in her arms miss bessie carried her to her room and placing her upon the bed sat down beside her why are you crying she asked as she saw the great tears roll down bessie's cheeks faster than she could wipe them away because bessie answered with a choking sob i have tried so hard to do right and have wanted work so much and just as i have found it i am afraid i am going to be sick for i feel so strange and cold as if all the life had gone from me and i cannot work any more and you will have to send me away and i have nowhere to go for stoneleigh is very far away and i have no money to get there oh auntie if i could die life has been so dreary to me here bessie broke down entirely and sobbed for a few moments convulsively while miss macpherson was scarcely less agitated kneeling down by the low bed and laying her old face by the side of the young one upon the pillow she too cried for a few moments like a child then lifting up her head and brushing away her tears with an impatient movement as if she were ashamed of them she said i cannot hold out any longer and i must tell you that what i have been doing was never intended to last i was only trying you to see if you were true and now that i know you are do you think i will not take you to my heart as my child my very own 
i believe i have always loved you bessie since the day your eyes looked at me on the sands of aberystwyth and i have wanted you so much and tried so many times to get you and right here where i am kneeling now i have often knelt by this little bed prepared for you years ago and prayed god to keep you innocent and pure and send you to me some day and he has done all this he has kept you pure and good and sent you to me just when i want you most i am a queer crabbed old woman but i believe i can make you happy and by and by you may learn to love me a little few have ever done that none in fact since my mother died but one and he oh bessie i would give my life to have him back and more than my life to know that it was well with him charlie oh charlie my love my love bessie's tears were all dried now and her arms were around the neck of this strange woman weeping for her lost love as women never weep save when the memory of that love brings far more pain than joy dear auntie bessie said i do not quite understand what you mean but if i can comfort you i will and work for you too i do not in the least mind that and i must do something to pay hush child miss betsy rejoined almost impatiently as she drew herself from bessie's embrace and rose to her feet never again trouble your head about your debts i sent the two hundred and fifty pounds to my brother's wife yesterday and told her what i was doing to you and what i meant to do if you passed the ordeal unscathed and any time you choose you can write to anthony and send him twenty pounds or more if you like what is mine is yours so long as my opinion of you remains unchanged i did not like your mother i am free to tell you that i was angry with your father for marrying her and angrier still when i heard of the life she led heard of her at monte carlo of which i never think without a shudder miss macpherson had seated herself in a chair by this time and over her white face there came a rapt far-off look and her hands were locked together as she continued bessie i may as well tell you now why i hate that place and hate all who frequent it charlie seems very near me to-night my boy lover with the soft brown eyes and hair and the sweet voice which always spoke so tenderly to me even when i was in my fitful moods that was more than forty years ago when he walked with me along the rose-scented lanes and told me of his love and talked of the happy future when i would be his wife alas he little dreamed what the future had in store or of the dreary lonely life i should lead while he oh charlie my love my love she paused a moment while she seemed to repress some powerful emotion and then resumed her story when he was twenty-one and i was twenty we went abroad in company with some relatives of mine and found ourselves at last at monte carlo your grandfather was with us and together we went into the gambling hall where men and women sell their souls for money and there my brother played and i shame that i must tell it i too tried my luck while charlie looked on reproachfully and tried to get me away but i only laughed at him and bade him stay to keep me company then i called him a coward and badgered him until one night he put down a five-franc piece and won and then he put down another and another doubling and trebling sometimes and always winning as it is said satan who rules that den lets the novices do the next day charlie played with a recklessness which half alarmed me and made me remonstrate with him 
but to no purpose you called me a coward he said laughingly and besides i rather like it the gold comes so easily i have scarcely lost a pound soon however the tide turned and he began to lose not small but large sums but as if that made him more determined than ever he played on and on always the first to enter and the last to leave while i watched him with a dread foreboding at my heart which i could not define oh how rashly he played and what heavy sums he staked his fortune was not large nor was mine then what it is now but we had planned together to buy a lovely place we knew of on the isle of wight and had furnished it in fancy many times i am bound to get back what i have lost or we cannot have rose lawn he would say with a smile and once when i begged him to desist and told him i did not care for rose lawn he answered me but i do and you must not complain you made me play you know after that i was silent and watched him sadly as the infatuation increased at last he said to me one night betty that was the name he gave me this evening we'll see the end something tells me i shall get back all i have lost and i am resolved to stake everything i have but whether i lose or win it is my last chance don't look so reproachfully at me remember you taught me to play but you did not know how strong was the desire in me to do it a love for the gaming-table is the besetting sin of my family and i had sworn to conquer it in myself but you were too strong for me so whatever happens do not blame me too much and now give me a kiss as a guarantee of success how handsome he was in the moonlight for we were in the beautiful grounds around the casino were standing in a sheltered spot close to a bed of great white lilies whose perfume even then made me faint i cannot smell them now without a throb of pain they are so associated with that awful night when i bade charlie good-bye and went back to the hotel i did not go with him nor did he wish it i disconcerted him he said and so i sat by my window and watched the full moon rising higher and higher and listened to the moan and dash of the sea against the shore below and saw the people going and coming until at last it was twelve o'clock the hour for closing and i saw the crowds come out men and women young and old those who had lost and those who had won and leaning from the casement i tried to single out charlie but could not i felt almost sure that if he had been successful he would stop at my door and tell me so but he did not come as i sat and waited i cannot tell you the horror and dread which took possession of me i knew that the moon was still shining that patches of silvery light were falling upon the sea and the shrubs and flowers outside but to me all was black as midnight and i actually groped my way to my bed on which i threw myself at last shivering with cold for the october air was blowing up chill from the water for a few moments i slept and then started suddenly as i fancied i heard charlie call my name oh betty was what he said and in his voice there was a note of agony and fear which made me shiver in every limb as i tottered to the window and looked out oh what a glorious night it was rich and sweet with tropical bloom and beauty and the full moon in the sky now moving down to the west for it was past two o'clock 
everything was still and after listening a moment i went back to bed and slept heavily until morning when my brother came to my door and spoke to me in a voice i did not at first recognize it was so strange and unnatural what is it i asked as i opened the door and looked at his white face sister he said stepping into the room can you bear some dreadful news yes i answered with a sensation as if i were turning into stone charlie is dead he has killed himself how i knew it i cannot tell but know it i did charlie was dead he had lost everything and gone from the scene of his ruin to the very spot where he had kissed and said good-bye to me and there had put a bullet through his brain close by the clump of lilies which were wet with his blood when they found him lying on his back with his fair young face upturned to the moonlit sky and a smile on his lips as if the death struggle had been a painless one i knew then that at the last when his soul was parting from his body he had called my name and i had heard him just as i often hear him now when i am all alone and the night like that one is full of moonlight and beauty we took him to england and laid him in his grave where i buried my heart my life and hope and since then i have grown into the strange unlovable woman you find me but do you wonder that i shrink with horror from the gaming-table and those who frequent it or that i could not respect your mother when i heard of her so often at monte carlo where charlie died and where your grandfather ruined himself for he too was possessed with a mania for play oh auntie how sorry i am for you bessie said throwing her arms around miss macpherson's neck and kissing her through her tears i mean to love you so much she continued and do so much for you if you will let me do i do not mind being your housemaid at all only just now i feel so tired and sick as if i could never work any more and wholly exhausted she sank back upon her pillow where she lay for a few moments so white and still that her aunt felt a horrible pang of fear lest the prize she so much coveted might be slipping from her almost before she possessed it but after a little bessie rallied and smiling upon her aunt said to her you cannot guess how happy i am to be here with you but i do not think i quite understand what you meant by trying me i meant miss macpherson replied to see if you were in earnest when you said you were willing to do anything to earn money i knew the macpherson pride and thought you might have some of it but i know better now i have tried you and proved you and do not want you as a housemaid any longer nor shall i need your services for a new girl comes to-morrow sarah's cousin she is in new york and will be here on the morning train a regular greenhorn i imagine but if she is honest and willing i can soon train her in my ways and now i will leave you for you must sleep to-night so as to be well to-morrow and with a fond good-night miss macpherson left the room End of chapter eleven